Welcome to Out of the Common. We're a brother and sister duo with extravagant goals where we've had to bridge the gap from perceived reality to actuality. I have an early stage mining venture potentially worth many billions, and Vanessa, she's an experienced healer. She connects the spiritual, energetic, and physical pathways within her functional wellness clinic. Join us here every week as we discuss some of life's adventures, current events, and ways in which true healing happens. By experiencing life through a different lens, you may indeed just find the path that's right for you. And that is what we hope to achieve. What does a concussion have to do with a deliverance? Today, we're going to discuss the story of a 17-year-old kid who recovered from a traumatic brain injury via deliverance that Vanessa and I were specifically part of. Now, I don't believe that there's any such thing as a coincidence. Everything happens for a reason. And the energy and, if you will, the ether or the quantum space is linked to everything that we're doing. We just can't always see it. And with that, there was a lot of quote-unquote coincidences just getting to meet Gabe. I never even Mm. knew Gabe. I was actually just heading out to New York to meet and hang out with a friend, and I happened to meet Gabe's mom, who is hosting an event at the U.S. Open for my friend who they had worked a deal together. But just the fact that I was in the same room, was invited last minute, went to the U.S. Open, all these things to me were not even on my agenda, not on my plan, not on my timetable. Right, because you didn't even have a ticket. I had nothing. And they snuck me in the back door with them. They had courtside seats and, you know, private dinner and all these things that I was nowhere a part of, except for 15 minutes prior. Mm -hmm. They bought me a nosebleed seat. Mm -hmm. Okay, so these are some of the things starting to line up. For me, at this point, it's just kind of neat. It's a neat experience that I otherwise wasn't going to have. However, as the evening went on and Gabe's mom started talking about her son who had a concussion, multiple concussions, had seen what they made it out to me at that time was many doctors on the East Coast and nobody knew what was going on. The frustration and the fear that came out from her voice was that she just wanted to press the red easy button. And Mm. we're at a dinner, an intimate story is being told that to me was on, this was now uncommon. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So, now, what are the chances that someone's going to bring up such a personal story in a work environment, especially with someone they don't know? Right. So now I'm looking at this trip like I'm I'm here for a different reason that mm-hmm. was unbeknownst to me. Mm-hmm. And that is when I think I texted you, emailed you, let you know like, hey, you know, there's something going on here. It's kind of a wild case. There's more to it. But I think you need to look into it. Mm-hmm. And so I know that, you know, we're talking about things lining up. Your schedule was booked out. It was essentially booked for the next month because I was going to Switzerland. So I had a two-week vacation planned. I really didn't have time to meet this kid. And unfortunately, Gabe couldn't travel. So the only way in which I could help is I had to go there. We basically had three to four days that I could move my schedule around. We could use the weekend. He was going to be in the city and his, his parents were going to be there, too, because that's the other part is they were traveling. So they had other stuff going on. And it just lined up literally a week or two prior. These were the dates. This is when it'll work. I flew out to New York. So at, at this time, I'm putting all these pieces together. I'm alerting you saying, hey, because I, I can't take it any, any further than connecting these dots. So mm-hmm. I'm throwing it on you at this point. None of us had met Gabe. Right. Or even said hi to Gabe. Just spoke to him on the phone. 
So no one really knew Gabe. You knew him more than I did at this point because he was put in contact with you. But his gut feeling on this was there was something more. And at the time, we didn't know this. Correct. And actually, he told me later that he didn't even want to talk to me on the phone, that first phone conversation, because it was someone else. His mom had said, oh, talk to this person. He thought, this woman named Vanessa is going to be like everyone else, not believe me. Tell me I'm not thinking clearly and there's nothing else to this. It's a concussion. Everything he had essentially been told. And he explained his symptoms. And I said, yeah, that makes sense. Like this, this, this all line up. This happened. You know, when you have multiple concussions in a row, if you have a, a really bad concussion or you have multiple concussions, and I think Gabe had five or six within a, a year, 18 month span, it turns into a traumatic brain injury. With that, you have way more symptoms and more things that come up. That makes sense when you look at it from that perspective in the gut-brain connection. But if you just look at it from a concussion, it doesn't. And so essentially, I said, yeah, I understand what you're going through. I, I get it all. And he was just kind of flabbergasted. He goes, oh my gosh, now there's someone who gets it, someone I can talk to. Because? He knew in his gut that this wasn't right. Like, yeah, but how many doctors and who did he go to? And what were the, you know more about that than I do at this stage? Well, that's kind of the amazing part of why things happen and the energy that that links people and situations because he knew that there was something more and he he held on to that like he kept searching for it putting it out there after going to two neurologists who right. then so sent them to a psychologist right right so the neurologist essentially said this is textbook concussion and then he didn't get better after so many months and they said you know we don't really get it from there they sent him to a psychologist because they thought it was emotional that he was making this up, essentially. With that, he also had to see a psychiatrist and an osteopath. And it wasn't until he got to the osteopath that he started to notice results. And she made connections with him, with the lymph and training and gut-brain connection, and this is what's going on. So he got a little bit of it from the osteopath, meaning, okay, there's something more here. She understood that there was something more, and he was being presented something that none of these other... MDs or Western medicine doctors were giving him at the mm -hmm. point. No, everyone essentially said, this can't be. It can't be a concussion anymore. You must be crazy. You're on your own. And it's just, I mean, you and I have been in situations before. Actually, I was just in one, coincidentally, that you start to think you're going crazy because everything around you is seemingly not right and doesn't feel right. And you know it's necessarily not you, but there's nothing you can do about it. Or you don't have the answers or explanations for it. Right. But you start to think you're going crazy. And this is what started to happen with Gabe. And so at 17, the fact that he didn't lose hope, he didn't lose faith, although it wasn't faith in God at the time, but it was faith in healing, that there was more. And he kept searching. He kept looking, wishing, wanting. Because he just knew deep inside. Right. But I don't know if I would have had that strength at that time. I can't say for sure either. I mean, based on what we've gone through, I would like to think that probably would be the case. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, 17 living in New York City, that's a world in and of, of itself, you right. know? And, and all of these doctors. And when you're in a big city like that, you think your access to care is the best in the world. Mm -hmm. And so when everyone's saying this is how it is, and it doesn't make sense to you or it's not right, you eventually start to question. And everything. Thankfully, he did question, but in a very intelligent way. Well, yeah, he is extremely intelligent. But with that said, we know that healing is not always physical. Right. Now, put Nor yourself, linear. Nor, yeah, nor linear. 
But put yourself in the shoes of a 17-year-old or take yourself back, if you can, to when you were 17. Right. All of his symptoms were physical. Right. Right? Almost until you open up and understand healing and understand energy, everything's always physical. Everything's physical. We're taught this. But his symptoms and any concussion symptoms are physical. I mean, what are your sensitivity to light and sound? I mean, those I, are the big, I've had a concussion before in basketball. Those are the big ones, right? right? And so traditionally, you should kind of do sound and light deprivation, stay in your room. It's hard for kids because they want to be on screens. They want to read. You just need to rest. And typically, that works because kids will bounce back and heal quickly. Because their brains rejuvenate or heal quicker than adult Actually, brains? Actually, their whole body heals quicker except their brain. Adult brains heal quicker than children's brains. Interesting. And so you need to give kids actually more time when there's a concussion. But he was like a concussion on steroids. So not only could he not deal with lights, he had to wear glasses inside and out. He couldn't even look at a screen. When he eventually came to Wisconsin, he would hand us his phone upside down so the screen didn't even light up in any capacity. Which is completely absurd these days. But take that as a 17-year-old. You can't look at your phone. You grew up on social media. You can't connect with any of your friends. He had to hand his phone to someone and say, hey, did someone call me who called me? Yeah. Can you call them back for me? He's a musician that plays piano and clarinet and can't hear music, listen to music, play music. Nothing. I mean, he couldn't even listen to podcasts because there's music at the intro and the outro. Yeah, he just couldn't hear it, period. He couldn't do much. So not only that, but he was so on, so wired and tired that he couldn't sleep. He could try to rest. Like fight or flight, adrenals are just working off the charts. Exactly. Just adrenals on high, almost like you're in this stuck ADD stage. So he couldn't sleep. So if you can't sleep, you can't repair. This kid is just stuck in a tornado. Some other physical symptoms, dry mouth all the time. He was drinking over a gallon of water and not feeling hydrated. hydrated ever. Ever. His mouth just dry mm -hmm. all the time. Nasal passages were always constricted. He couldn't smell right. He couldn't breathe right. Mm -hmm. Physically, his muscles were tightened, just stuck. When I was in New York, basically, once I got to New York, I realized and I, I called you and I said, this is way more than a concussion. There's a lot more here. I started to work with Gabe. We started to do the assessment. We started to change things, gave him some supplements, change his diet, you know, use some other things. But one thing we did is stretch. I'm like, you need to do yoga. And this kid was so stuck. Thankfully, once he came out to Wisconsin, he could move a little bit more. But it didn't matter how much stretching or walking he did. He was tight. Everything was just coiled up. No cardiovascular endurance. Remember, we'd try to get him outside, get fresh air. We need to walk. We need to breathe. Yeah, and then look at how all these... Right. If you can deep breathe, sometimes you can get into a meditative state where then you can start relaxing and, and maybe fall asleep, right? Mm -hmm. His nasal passages, so he's not getting the deep breaths. He's always dry mouth, mm -hmm. you know, having dry mouth. So he's trying always trying to get water. Doing all this, he's, he can't sleep. It's all connected. He's restricted. All his muscles and ligaments are all restricted. So he can't stretch to feel that. Real, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. it's all tied into just one big ball of disaster. Mm -hmm. and Something essentially had to break. Yeah. And this kid is extremely intelligent. He's one of the smartest people I've ever met. He's definitely the smartest person I've ever met. And he's 18. But sometimes, like, when you start debating him or having philosophical conversations or anything, he's asking all the right questions and he's getting to the right conclusions or you think he's 35, 40 years old, someone who's way more experienced. Mm -hmm. Which I think allowed him to get through because he kept questioning things. 
But back to kind of physical symptoms, other things that really affected him was just his being. Like he he was so affected by this that he couldn't really interact. Like we'd go for a walk and our neighbor would be outside. I'd say hi. And he'd just look down, like just staring at concrete walking. He just didn't, he wasn't able to interact with people because he wasn't fully there himself. So he couldn't be there for other people. And that's going to tie into some of the things we're going to talk about next, though. For instance, shame. You know, he mm. felt less than because no no doctors, nobody could figure anything out. Mm-hmm. He was just kind of going through motions that weren't there. And everybody's had brain fog to some extent. But when you have major or extra or continued brain fog, mm-hmm. you can't breathe your way through it. You're not sleeping. You're not stretching. I mean, every part of his existence is mangled mm-hmm. at this point. I mean, so much so that he couldn't even read. Literally, put yourself in this situation. There's nothing you can do. You have to sit. You can't have lights on. I mean, we lived with the lights off. We cooked with the lights off. He went to the bathroom with the lights off. No lights, no music, no noise, no reading. You're just there, but you can never relax. Coming from a kid who's awesome at chess. Any game of strategy. Yeah, any any (laughs) strategy game, really, but got... Got accepted into the number one private boarding school in the nation. Has had straight A's since he was out of the womb, mm-hmm. ever since they started giving grades. And he can only read something like a, a Zelda book for mm-hmm. 10 minutes at a time. He is a fraction, a very small fraction of himself mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm. So once he came to Wisconsin, he was with us. I think we finally comprehended the enormity of the situation and what was happening. And we started to look at this from other angles because, well, first of all, that's what we do. But secondly, that's what our guts were telling us is this isn't physical. We we knew this from the get-go that there was more. more. How much more, we didn't know. Correct. And, um, you know, as we're talking to him, he keeps telling the same stories and he can't get off of it. And that's when it hit us. We're like, okay, we got to start with forgiveness. So that's actually where we started. We did start with forgiveness, but it was linked to the family. And once he got here and we started hearing stories and how no one really supported him. And so he has all these physical things going on. No interaction with his friends or anyone his age. Can't read, can't play music, can't... No release. No release whatsoever. And he has absolutely zero support from the adults and professionals in his life. Zero. You're on an island. And when I say zero, I mean no affection, no empathy, no love, nothing. Let me press that easy button as a parent, as a professional, as a doctor, and boom, you're healed. Oh, you're not healed? Oh, no, you're thrown to the wolves. Literally, he had nobody. Right. That's exactly what happened. And that's something we had to start with because we we did a lot while he was there. And we started off with good food. We started off with surrounding him in a blanket of love and compassion and support. And we used certain techniques, which you know, we'll get into later. But the first thing we actually had to start with was forgiveness. We had to get the concept of forgiveness across to him because harboring resentment or anger towards anyone else or not forgiving only affects you. It's the number one spiritual block to healing. Mm -hmm. Now, if we're spiritual beings first and physical bodies second, we need to take care of the spiritual being first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And the way he spoke and the stories he told especially having to do with family members, he would look down, his face muscles would get tight, his fists would clench. 
And you could just tell there was a lot of You could see it. He would tighten yeah, up even anger, more. Yes. Anger. So the yeah, this did lead lead us to having to deal with forgiveness being the number one blockage to move forward from. And let me let me say this. Forgiveness is hard. It requires a lot of work and it requires just surrendering, essentially. But forgiveness is really hard when you have a narcissist in your family. You are always put under guilt and shame and embarrassment for not being perfect. Forgiveness is much harder. Forgiveness is monumental. Yeah. I've had to do it. And it took me so long, so long to forgive the people that came to me initially that I needed to forgive. It was literally impossible. My brain would shut down. Anything that could go wrong would go wrong. And you start thinking, why in the hell is this so hard to do? It's like, we know what's right and we know what we're supposed to do. But the conditioning of the society that we all partake in tells us something different. Let's hold anger. Let's get revenge. Yeah. Let's do all these things that are just so harmful to ourselves. And you and I have been working on things for a long time. But in my personal experience, it's taken me years to fully forgive it hasn't taken me years to fully forgive. It's taken me years to fully understand what that forgiveness meant. Mm. I think for me is a better way to put it. Okay. Because you're told to forgive. So, okay, you forgive, right? But am I doing it correctly? Is this the right way? Is it the wrong way? I don't feel it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If, you, uh, if you had a gratitude journal or you were being grateful for things every day, it's really hard initially if you just start somewhere because you don't feel it. You say, oh, right. I'm grateful for, right? And you're struggling. Right. You're struggling to find something you're grateful for. And the reason is because you're not feeling it. Mm-hmm. As you get going along and keep doing that, you start feeling every single, like, it just comes to you, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same thing with the forgiveness. The understanding maybe isn't always there right away, but it's still the right thing to do. And not for them not for the other person, for us. Mm-hmm. It's something that we can't carry the burden. Mm-hmm. But you and I have put in a lot of work and you and I go back and forth on our journeys and what we've dealt with. We had a month with Gabe. We had a month to work through monumental forgiveness, reprogramming, you know, how he was kind of brought up in guilt and shame and embarrassment and the physical We literally had one month to show enough change to then get him to stay longer for one more month. Yeah, because the the so what we were up against is right is a freaking tower. It was unbelievable, and you know what? Never though did I doubt that he could heal and that we could help. I never doubted that, but I had no idea how we were going to get there. I agree because now we have a timeline, Right. right? And when healing's not linear, and you have no support. So when Gabe's calling back, back home and checking in and doing whatever he's doing, he's not getting any support. He was given Which a, triggers yes. the underlying issues. Yes. So he, it, he was given a 50-50 chance that anything could happen. Yeah. But the easy button wanted to be pressed so many times because nobody knew what was going on. That is exactly why they shipped him out to Wisconsin to us. That's what one of his family members, parents told me. She said, Vanessa, I think it's 50-50 whether he can heal out there or not. And, you know, in my head, I said, bring it. I knew there was a lot we could do for him. I didn't know where we'd get, and I didn't know what was going to transpire. But I just knew there was more that we could do. I mean, it kind of brings us into what we did do physically. 
you know, and then, well, and then the after, releases he had. After so. dealing, certainly, and after dealing with his forgiveness, because he had almost a two-hour, hour and a half, I think, phone call with his mom that both of them were crying. Yeah. And again, this is a 17-year-old kid. I am almost positive I didn't have that wherewithal to be able to do that at that age. I didn't have the capacity at that no, age. No, no capacity, no understanding, mm-hmm. nothing. Mm-hmm. I know for sure I couldn't have done that at that age. Mm-hmm. But going deeper with all the stories he had and getting to know him on much more personal and in-depth level, now we start to see family patterning, right? And I know you brought it up just a minute ago, but there's a narcissist in his family. Mm -hmm. It's his father, okay? And when you're the head of the household and you're a narcissist, everybody gets put in their positions. The wife becomes a floater, a hoverer. The children become pinned against each other, but everyone's basically used as an object mm-hmm. to your own satisfaction or liability, depending on who you are, what they're needed in what capacity on any given day. Right. You fill a role. Yeah, absolutely. You fill a role, uh, a role that you're thrown into. But right. with that narcissism and with that objectivity, here comes the guilt and shame, right? Mm-hmm. So yes, he was a straight A student. Yes, he was a musician. Yes, he was these things and very good at these things, even unto this day. However, the carrot was out in front of him that he was never, ever good enough. There was a a picture of perfection painted on him and ingrained subconsciously in him that he was never going to be good enough, no matter what he did. And, and I remember him saying, too, that his parents are looking for this monumental shift, this big Big, right? If it's not huge, if it's not big, Mm -hmm. you're not healing or nothing's Mm -hmm. happened, Mm -hmm. right? If you don't make $10 million, you haven't made any money, Mm -hmm. right? So this is the whole mindset that this 17-year-old kid, Gabe, has. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot more that we started uncovering, certainly starting with the forgiveness, then getting into all the family patterning. Mm -hmm. Because we couldn't get to the physical, I mean, all the while, every day. Every day and actually every night when he couldn't sleep, we're working on physical, mental, emotional. And we have all these tools we can use. But we had to work with the patterning because if you can't repattern or if you can't at least acknowledge what's going on in front of you, you're just going to keep going. It doesn't matter how much you do physically or mentally, how strong you are. As soon as you get triggered, you fall back into that pattern. And that is kind of the biggest thing because he had to go back to New York. Eventually, he was going to have to be back there. So how do you work with someone to allow them to see this, especially at such a young and integral age? How do you develop strength and confidence in them enough so in such a short amount of time that they can be in that situation and just be and not get triggered? And so when you say, yeah, there was a lot more to this, you're right. You're right. We are dealing with kind of every level of healing that I think a lot of people strive to go through. And it takes a while. You know, this is a crash course on healing and faith and knowing where healing comes from. Mm -hmm. In two months, this is a crash course. And not only does it take a while, you have to be very open-minded and aware of all the sensitivities of where you're being led next. Mm. For instance, the forgiveness started it, and we knew it, clear as day. Mm -hmm. All the signs, all the physical signs, the stories he told, the repetition of the stories. The frustration that came out in his voice when he told the stories. It all led us there. But as stories continued and, you know, the guilt and shame and embarrassment came up, Mm -hmm. 
and understanding how his dad acts was, you know, very narcissistic, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. how this all plays a role in the family dynamic, which then plays a role in the dynamic of who he is today or at that point in time, right? Right. right. So some of the things we did, we did daily. And one thing that Gabe absolutely loved was something called an amp coil. And basically, it's emitting frequencies through a Tesla coil. And there's a lot of different frequencies you can use, but we use the ones delta waves. And delta waves or delta brain waves is basically where your brain is at when you're in deep sleep. And it's the most healing and therapeutic point of anyone's day because that's where we do a lot of healing. Repairing. Repairing. Exactly. And so if he couldn't sleep, just by being on high, we know he wasn't getting into deep sleep or any delta waves. And he could kind of get into theta waves with meditation, but not fully. So we use these frequencies to basically put them into him and around him so we could calm his body and he could get some repair. So that's one thing we did every day and actually multiple times a day. We also used other frequencies, one of which was a laser And that was initiating healing and repair at the level of the mitochondria. So that was the big thing we did because we had to get the lymph to drain. We had to deal with the physical symptoms while we were dealing with everything else. So then came the chiropractic and the massages so Mm -hmm. we could get the nervous system back in line. Mm -hmm. So we could get the lymph and everything the muscles are holding on to to start releasing. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we're using frequencies to put him in more of a relaxed state. Mm -hmm. The inflammation, like with the cold laser and the healing, the deeper tissue healing. And I think the the other big thing is the float tanks or float therapy, right? That played a big role. Just doing what the amp coil couldn't do, essentially a different way of sensory deprivation, but healing. So those were the big kind of external things we did. And But every day, I mean, we were doing they mindful. Were all, they were all big. Like you said, this is a crash course. So we're we're dealing with the the energy, the frequency side of things, to the physical massage or chiropractic care, to the stretching. He couldn't stretch. We, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying. We had to re- well, um, get all this released. Emotional, mental side. We did mindfulness exercises every day. We did the breathing. affirmations. Yes. So gratitude we, journal. Once we <laughs> once we got through the forgiveness, it opened up a whole nother world. A that he started feeling com- more comfortable talking about the embarrassment, right? No one wants to talk about embarrassment because right. it defines itself. Mm-hmm. Okay. And all of those that we understood our family patterning, right? Mm-hmm. So then that led us to how we could attack all these different things. Right. And thank The healing, the draining, the repair. The repair. Mm-hmm. The uh, energy to repair. Yes, physically, but also emotionally and mentally. All of this had to happen all at the same time. time. Right. And one big thing we were doing, switching up every couple of days, was nutritional therapy and not just diet. I mean, we went through a quarter cow while he was there. Two months. We went through a freaking quarter cow. Organic, grass-fed, no hormones. Right. Nothing bad. Raised with love. That takes us months to go through. I mean, this kid was eating so much, drinking so much water because he was just on high. Like his body and he was losing weight. Like he needed it to keep going. So we weren't necessarily changing a diet for him because he needed that energy. We were changing up nutritional therapy so we could use homeopathics. We could use herbs. We could use food concentrates to get that extra nutrition into him. And that along with everything else, made a huge deal. But we were doing all of this daily, and we were switching it all up daily. And you mentioned it before, but 
amongst all of these things, I believe the biggest and best part of it was the love that we gave, mm -hmm. the support that we gave, and the understanding that we had with him and the stories he told and who he was, who he wanted people to understand or how he wanted people to understand. He did not have that. And if you're in a situation or a home or household or anywhere and you need to heal, if you don't have those things, you will not heal. I guarantee you, you will not heal. Right. Which is the sad part that no one no one looks at, no one thinks about. It's the easy, seemingly the easiest thing because you don't need an amp coil. You don't need to know nutritional therapy. You don't need any of this. You just need love and understanding. Mm -hmm. and, Everything else will move out of the way and direct you to where you need to go next. And I would say that's the cornerstone of, of you and I working together and what we do. And that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned because we've worked with a lot of people together. And typically, people always want to come over and hang out. And we love that. We enjoy that. Sometimes it can be a little much, right? Always having people around. You and I need our own space. We need our own healing as well. But why that is, is not because we have these infrared mats and lasers and Amcoil and all this stuff. It's literally because we support them and we give them love. When mm -hmm. you walk into our place, you feel the love. Mm -hmm. That is the biggest difference. I agree. So if you have love in any around you in any healing, you're going to heal. If you have love and faith, you're going to heal. Mm-hmm. So you're right. I think that was the biggest difference for Gabe. Which is also cool because where this goes next, right? Mm -hmm. And it's how he started to open up. Correct. Where this goes next is starting the deliverance, okay? And we didn't know it was going to get to a deliverance. We knew there was a lot of spiritual stuff involved and tied to it, but not on the level in which we were just about to see right. at the time. Right. However, we couldn't have got here if we hadn't done every day prior the way it unfolded with the love, understanding, and support to go through all of this. Because Gabe, born and raised in New York City, that is full of atheists, really. Yeah. And you're living in this echo chamber of literally everything that's wrong with the world. Yeah. Truly. Caring about everything that truly doesn't matter. Money, status, stuff, things. Our reputation. Yep. All these things that, hey, when you need to heal or something, you know, truly something needs to happen, when, it's not going to happen. Exactly. Exactly. You no, know, no one has got, I shouldn't say no one that's painting with a broad brush. He just wasn't, he wasn't surrounded by anyone in his life that, no. that had God in their lives. And so even up to this point, which we hadn't mentioned yet, but conversations were had with him about God, mm -hmm. because I don't view anything I've done or been able to do as my own. I've always been used as a medium of exchange, if mm -hmm. you will, right? A conduit via God. Mm -hmm. And I wanted him to understand that specifically, but he wasn't brought up with God and none of his friends were God-fearing or believers. So he would continue to shut down. He would not only shut down, he would argue. He would argue back with you. And eventually you got to a point and he says, why are you arguing with me on this? I'm just trying to show you something from a different perspective. Whether you believe it, get it or not, it's not up to me. I just want you to be exposed. And I think once he moved through forgiveness and embarrassment and was able to see his life from a broader perspective, he started to open up. And as soon as he did, his first release happened. Right, and seeing... Because this is important and a very important part is number one, believing in God or having a relationship with God, number one. Mm -hmm. But number two, and almost 
as cool as knowing that there's someone, God, who has a purpose for your life. Mm-hmm. When you don't have that, it takes all the purpose, all the meaning. You do to do, but there's no meaning. There's, it's there's void. nothing behind it. It's exactly. void. It's completely void mm-hmm. without love. Mm-hmm. And you're right. So the first release happened once we got to this stage, which starts off the deliverance. But the deliverance itse- is in and of itself. Correct. And just to make a point on this, we were not pushing God down his throat. We didn't give him a Bible. I mean, eventually he asked about some books and you said, hey, these are the books I have. Feel free to read them. He's like, ugh, you know, I don't want to read any of that stuff. That's not me. Right. That's not me. We're going to help you regardless. This is what we've seen in our lives. That was essentially it. It wasn't you have to believe in God to heal. You have to do this to heal. There were no have tos. It was this is what we've seen. This is what we've experienced. This is how we got to where we are. We're going to help you and love you regardless. And he started to just open up. You know, he had a couple releases, which we'll walk through for people. He started to open up. But his big deliverance was when he met God. I mean, that just opened him wide. Mind-blowing. And we've never, you and I have never seen anything like that. But day by day... Slowly but surely, certainly not linear, up and down. All around. Many, many battles on a daily basis allowed him to get to that point. Yeah. And briefly, you can talk about his two releases that he had because, again, everything led up to the deliverance. Right. And I, you know, I had this gut feeling that there was going to be some sort of release. There was, he had to let go. There was so much just coiled up in him. He had to let it out. And if he couldn't exercise it out, he'd have to scream it out or cry it out or somehow poop it out even. It had to come out. And the first one was a, a small release. So we were dealing with patterning and we were dealing with embarrassment. And uh, we were using a laser, we were using mindfulness. And basically, he started to breathe deeper, started to open up. He said, through that process, it lasted maybe 10, 15 minutes that he felt better. He felt lighter. It's like, okay, we're on to something. And then that night was the first night that he actually slept better. He woke up and goes, you know what? I actually think I slept, which didn't happen. I can't tell you how many nights he came to me and said, Vanessa, I can't sleep. Will you walk me through a meditation? So there we are, you know, in the middle of the night for hours meditating because this kid can't sleep. And finally he goes, you know what? I think I slept better. It's like, oh, we're on to something. Awesome. So it was probably a week in between, but he, he had another release. And um, this wasn't necessarily prompted by anything specific. We weren't working on any patterning or emotional construct. It was just almost... The body of work up until that point. All of the things came together. Mm-hmm. And so what happened is he was in bed and he started to breathe really deeply. First of all, he yelled from the bedroom. Well, he started to breathe really deeply. Then he started... he. Yelled, but not at us. He just yelled. And then well, he, he, had said, some... he said, Chris, I need you in here. And I had spent all day with him. I needed to go recharge. I was done. And that's why I said, Vanessa, this is all you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but something was going on with him before he even yelled for you. That's true. Because he was, he was, he got scared. And yeah. That's why he yelled. He didn't know what was happening. Right. And so I, I went in there and I sat on the bed and literally just held space for him to, to experience and go through what he's going through. And he, you know, he started to cry. Let that happen. He started to scream. He screamed into his pillow. It's just like frustration and anger was coming out. And then that kind of went back and forth, crying, screaming. And then the laughing. And then he just started laughing uncontrollably, tears coming down his eyes. He's laughing. And I eventually called you in because I said, 
you got to see this. You got to, I know you need your space, but you have to at least watch this because you could see this kid opening up. He was breathing in a way he had never breathed before. He could feel it. And that's probably the biggest thing is he could feel what was happening to him. And he said- He was laying on his side to get a picture of this. He was laying on his side and it was like he was swimming strokes in the pool, right? Yeah, his arm was opening up as he'd inhale. All the way out and come all the way back to the bed and then all the way, you know, and he kept doing that. He was moving his whole body to breathe, which was really incredible to see. And the funny thing, he goes, Vanessa, can you take my pulse? And I'm I'm just watching him. And I, of course, I can take your pulse. Why? He says, because I think I'm hyperventilating. <laughs> <laughs> Which was so funny because he had never breathed this deeply. And I just kind of chuckled. He'd I'm never like, been that open. But then no. the saliva started coming back in his mouth. And he, was, he kept going, you know, because it's like he's never tasted it. Not in two years. At this point, not in two years. Right. Everything was dry. He didn't realize how constricted his nasal passages were. He could breathe through his nose for the first time in two years. He didn't realize he wasn't. Um, He said he felt like a band-aid was ripped off his brain. He said he saw the band-aid being ripped off his brain, which is kind of neat. Incredible. The first layer, the first barrier that was there was being removed. It was just kind of falling apart and shattering. And he was experiencing what was behind that. And that was him. He was experiencing him finally. Mm-hmm. So that was incredible. I mean, that probably lasted a good hour or so. And after that, I mean, and some level, he was a new person. He could handle light better when we'd walk. He could walk longer than 15 minutes. There were things then that improved after that, but not fully. And you and I both knew that the time that we had left at this juncture... There was more we, to do. We needed that breakthrough. Exactly. We needed that breakthrough because he still couldn't read. read. He still... Couldn't listen to music. And remember, the whole goal is to get him back to school starting January for that second semester of school because he was taken out of school because he couldn't deal with the lights. He couldn't learn. He couldn't read. He couldn't do anything. So he was out of school for one whole semester. So our whole goal is to get him back to school, among other things. But when you and I saw this, we realized there's another bigger breakthrough we have to deal with and go through before he can go to school. He can go back to New York not, like this, but he can't go to school. Not like that. only that, his parents are going to say, oh, well, nothing happened, right? Right. Because he's a musician, but can't play music. He's a musician, but can't listen to music, right? And he's at a music school. He's a 17 year old that can't look at his phone or his computer screen, right? right? So we still had these problems, big problems to figure out. And you knew that and explain what you did or your thought process to kind of trigger. Trigger it, if you will. Mm-hmm. So when something doesn't set right with me, I keep thinking about it. I I mull it over. I think about it. I sleep on it. Usually stuff will come to me at night, but eventually it comes to me. And this is what I was doing with Gabe. I'm like, something just doesn't seem right. We have to be able to open him up. What do we do? And all of that's going through my head. And I got home one day from work and it was a long day. I think it was the day I worked 12 hours. And um, I thought, okay, now or never, like we got to do something. And I said, Gabe, are you ready? And he kind of smiled at me. He goes, yeah, I'm ready. I go, okay, just this, something's going to happen with you. I just want you to breathe and work through it. And he hadn't been able to listen to music. So that was the trigger. That was what was going to poke the bear to elicit a response that I was thinking then we could test through and figure out nutritionally what he needs and how we can use or our therapy. Energetically or frequency-wise. Yeah. I knew, How can we counteract this? Exactly. It was going to trigger something. That starts to move. Then what do we do about that? Because now we're really seeing it. Well, I didn't think it was going to trigger a, a freaking deliverance. And well, you didn't think it was going to trigger the demons. I didn't. Right. 
I didn't think it was going to trigger the demons. And just a side note on that, Gabe would always have this look. He'd like look out the corner of his eyes and it was such a, now I know it as a demonic look. It was just, it gives you kind of the like Ugh, feeling and it's it, you're, it's really uncomfortable. And he did that often. And I thought, hmm. And it makes just... him look like a very, very angry child. Yes. But I thought, well, maybe this is just him. This is how he's looking. It's nothing he's intentionally doing. All of that was correct. He wasn't intentionally doing it, but he didn't know it happened because obviously it wasn't him doing it. So I started with play the Gregorian chants, okay, which are tuned to harmonic frequencies that initiate healing. That's how all music was tuned originally. Started to play that, and it started to kind of initiate certain responses in, in him. And the first thing that he did is he sat there and he looked at me with those eyes, and I went, holy shit, this isn't good. And he started growling at me. I'm like, huh. That's when I texted you and I said, Gabe's having another release. And I explicitly said what was going on. And you said, holy shit, Vanessa, grab the Bible. This is a deliverance. This isn't a release. And I went, oh, you're right. So as soon as that happened, I'd shifted the Gregorian chants to the Bible on audio because that frequency in the airwaves is going to do much more for healing and spiritual warfare and demonic forces than the Gregorian chants. But that started it off, and I'll let you take it from here because you were involved, specifically involved, with everything else that happened. So before you got there, he's yeah, growling so at me. He's I, I, screaming bloody murder. The neighbors came down to see if everything was okay. The dog who's trained for protection, the Belgian Malinois, is going crazy. Yep. Trying to kind of like go after what's in him. Well, on a side note, too, every time he woke up in the middle of the night, not every time, but a lot of times Ace would jump out of my room and start growling and barking at him. Mm -hmm. He was, and we've always called him the spirit dog for the things that he's witnessed and brought our attention to. Right. But we just didn't, at the time, we were like, oh, there's something there. We didn't know what. But also we were clearing our space. We were energetically cleansing our space all of the time. So we thought, yeah, it's probably just what's happening with Gabe. We didn't realize it was in Gabe. You right, know? right, right, right. And so Gabe is screaming bloody murder. Gabe is crying. The neighbors come down the dog wants to go after whatever in him because Ace is picking up that this is unnatural. Finally, he lays down. I put the Bible on him. So opened it up, put it on him. And about that time, you came home. And to me, and I hope for you as well, this is the coolest part because for five weeks, it was a struggle, an energetic daily struggle and a grind. It yeah, was, we were battling. It was mentally and physically... Exhausting. Exhausting. I mean, it wore us out physically because we were always on all day, all night, right? There was a lot on our shoulders, but energetically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, it wore us out because we had to always be on. We couldn't be off. Like if we didn't energetically cleanse, something happened, mm -hmm. right? And something like, bad was bound to happen. Right. And we didn't want anything to stop his healing. So it was every level being on all the time. Mm -hmm. So we were, were done. But once we saw this, we're like, okay, we know what we need to do. And I've seen a lot of spiritual stuff and been a part of, unfortunately for me, fortunately, but unfortunately, spiritual warfare on levels that I don't think most people could comprehend. Mm -hmm. And I don't say that lightly. And so when you told me that he was growling and I'm like, oh, shit, it's a deliverance. Right. Like, this, this is this, more than a release. Yeah. This is, these are demons coming out. Get the Bible. I raced home. But. On my way home, literally halfway home, the Holy Spirit hit me. And if you've never had 
the Holy Spirit enter or have that feeling, it is incredible. It's love, it's peace, it's so many things that you don't really feel on a human level in in this world. Mm -hmm. But I started crying uncontrollably. And I wanted to destroy these demons so bad. I knew I knew it was demons, and I knew they were ruining this kid's life. Mm-hmm. I knew it, and I was ready to go to war. Mm-hmm. So when I got when I got back, I remember you were staring down at the ground, sniffling like you didn't know what the hell had just happened. He's laying on the couch with a spit bowl next to him, clenching the Bible. I'm trying to hold Ace back. I'm trying to, you know, explain to our neighbors that we're not crazy because they heard screaming bloody murder. <laughs> I'm trying to just make sure everything's okay or calm until you come in the door. And then I figured, okay, with two of us, we can do it, right? But with me, me and a dog that wants to attack, can't do it. (laughs) Not going to happen very very easily. So Gabe makes a joke. Oh, ha ha, you missed it. Oh, yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you can't yell and scream demons out, right? Just by yelling and screaming. So I went and sat down. I felt compelled to sit. Next to him on the couch. Yeah, next to him. He was laying down, so I was sitting at his feet. And I sat there again. I'm just surveying the room and the situation and what I'm feeling. And here comes the Holy Spirit again. And I just start crying a little bit, but I didn't want Gabe to see that I was crying. Mm -hmm. And I knew exactly what I needed to do at that time. So I put my hand on his wrists that were crossed on the Bible, clenching the Bible, Mm -hmm. which was on his chest. Mm Mm-hmm. And I knew once I looked him in the eyes, all hell was going to break loose. So I put my hands on him first. And once I turned my head to look at him straight in the eyes. You saw those eyes. All hell started to break loose. And it was war. Mm -hmm. And it was war for the next three hours and 16 minutes. And granted, it probably shouldn't have taken that long. But it is what it is, right? Right. So his eyes start rolling back in his head, his jaw starts um, going back. Like it was unhinged. It was going from side to side so aggressively. Yeah. The screeching that was coming out of him, the noises he was making, his eyes were fluttering like a camera shutter, like, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. I've never seen someone's eyes flutter so fast, so uncontrollably. It was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. But all the while, I'm at so much peace Mm -hmm. because I know the power lies in Christ. And I know that these things cannot handle, A, the Bible, can't handle the living word, can't handle the Gregorian chants, can't handle the Bible on audio, can't handle the crucifix. Nor do they. (laughs) They can't handle shit. Nor do they have authority. So as soon as you tell them that they do not have authority. Zero authority. They have to leave. And knowing that, the Holy Spirit was within me and doing all this stuff, knowing where the authority was is the utmost important. Yes. Because as soon as you think that you're doing it, right? gosh, are you, you're just on the struggle bus. You're not going to get anywhere, right? But he was spitting at me. He was gnashing his teeth. His eyes, like I said, were rolling back in his head. The He's, looks were completely and utterly demonic. He was bucking at times his whole body, but also... The he was other, bucking like a bronco. The other thing is he would talk as if he was Gabe, and then he would talk as if he was someone else. Well, that's what the demons, right? So right. It, it, Gabe was virtually split in half as far as his consciousness was concerned. Mm-hmm. If I would ask him a question, the first response that would come out was demonic. And you could tell it was demonic by like the screeching of it, like the eyes looking. Basically, Even the words he said, it wasn't how he usually spoke. Yes, basically like 
they didn't want to talk, but Christ had authority over them and was making them talk. Right. So they had no other choice, but they were like wincing and grinning and, mm-hmm. you know, fighting their way through it the whole time. It, it literally came out of him through clenched teeth. Absolutely. And then as soon as you say, like, I would say, no, that's a lie. You're lying. Well, then he starts freaking out and bucking. But then all of a sudden, Gabe starts yelling at me. No, yeah. it's this, it's this. And he's Gabe, you know, think of him being split in half, like his consciousness. Now Gabe's yelling at me, mm-hmm. like overpowering the demon, mm-hmm. what the demon's saying, the voice of the demon. I'm like, holy shit, this is wild. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, we're going through prayers and we're doing a number of things throughout this process while I'm trying to keep him muffled because he's screaming, keeping the Bible on him. You know, he said he saw my face and everything went dark and he saw a light show up and a silhouette through the light. While this is going on, his eyes are fluttering like a million times a second or a minute, Mm -hmm. just going crazy. And this happened like three more times. Everything happened differently. At first, it was like all black. Then it was all black and the light showed up. And then it was all black and just my eyes, nose and mouth were illuminated. So... He was seeing what he believed to be Christ of some sort with the silhouette, with the features that were enlightened on my face. But he was also at the same time feeling all the fear and destruction of these demons Mm -hmm. that he thought it was him. He Mm -hmm. thought he was going to hell. Right. He thought he was going to be bound. Right. So Gabe, let's just pause for a second because Gabe didn't fully understand this. You and I get all of this, right? So when we see these demonic looks or something happens, we're like, oh, that wasn't that person, right? That was something else in them. Gabe didn't know that was a thing. So as these words are coming out of him, he thinks it's him. That fear, he thought it was his fear to feel, and it was not. None of that was him, but it was put on him to feel. So he's freaking out that this is happening to him, and he's a bad person, or this is all he's going to go down the wrong rabbit hole. But at the same time, none of it was him. No, none of it was him. And you're right. He didn't know any of this stuff. So he had to follow along. He had to recite prayers after me. He just, whatever he had to do, he did it. He was in such fear. Mm -hmm. Fear that he's never experienced in his life. This all came to a point when his arms came up. He let go of the Bible. His arms came up because... He kept saying, the demons want the Bible and audio turned off. Turn Mm -hmm. it off. Mm -hmm. So we weren't doing that, and none of that obviously was going to happen. So his arms come up, and I'm looking at his arms, and imagine this if you can. They're coming from both sides now. Mm -hmm. I'm like, holy shit, he's going to try and choke me. Mm -hmm. Gabe, in his split consciousness, is trying to hold back. The demons are trying to choke the hell out of me. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm hold, he's bucking, he's yelling. I'm trying to keep him quiet because of the neighbors. I got the Bible. I'm trying to keep the Bible on him. I mean, the cover of the Bible's ruined and ripped off. And just, <laughs> you know, and the Bible's still intact, but like it, it went through a war. You yeah. Know? And I'm like, oh, how am I supposed to do all this? And now he's about to choke me. And I'm like, I just stepped back. I didn't step back. I just thought, literally thought back. And I'm like, Christ is in control. So I said a Bible verse, a specific Bible verse. I said, put your hands together, and I wrap them in three cords. There was more. I said the specific verse. And he put his hands together, and his hands were bound. And he kept trying to rip his hands apart. The demons kept trying to pull apart, and they couldn't. He could not move, could not move for anything. Mm-hmm. So we had that figured out. And when when you came in the end to start helping with the last demon, Jezebel, mm-hmm. 
not only is she a liar, she hides behind all these other demons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a little and, shapeshifter. Yeah, and she she hates the female presence. But he was yelling the whole time, and I didn't think about it until you said it. You're done talking. We don't want to hear another word. And his mouth was wide open, jaw thrashing back and forth, and he didn't make a peep. Not one peep. His hands were bound, and had not a voice or not a noise came out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. So at that point, we finished the deliverance. But the coolest part, the very coolest part was the end. And we started doing some deep breathing once we knew it was all calming down and we needed to calm down the rest, the place, everything. Change the energy, right. Harness the energy that was around us, but change it. Gabe was taken what we fully believe. He was taken up to the heavenly realm. And we know this for a few different reasons. Number one, physically, he was still laying on the couch. He had his eyes closed. But we had asked him some questions and his face would move. For some reason, I had a feeling that he had seen or was about to see Christ. Mm. So I asked him, I said, hey, Gabe, do you see Christ? And he starts to smile just a little bit, but then his face is making all these different movements like he's about to cry. And I know the feeling of the Holy Spirit. I, I know these feelings and All I said to him was, it's okay to cry. Mm -hmm. And he just starts bawling. Mm -hmm. So once that's done, he explained to us, and this is purely from him because we couldn't see or fully experience this part. He said, wherever he was taken, wherever he saw, it was all energy. It was all light. There was multiple people, but everything was connected. It was all bright light. So you could tell that there was differences, but it was all also connected. Almost like all of God's children are connected. Mm. Then he said he went through a gate, but not a gate that you and I recognize like a physical gate. But to him, it was just all energy, but he knew it and understood it as a gate. Mm-hmm. At that point in time, he said Christ descended like he was coming downstairs and came up to him and put his thumb on his forehead. And that is the point in which he started bawling. Mm-hmm. He also said he saw Archangel Gabriel that said to him, oh, Gabriel's got a different ring to it now, doesn't it? Meaning his name. So that was super cool, but it doesn't end there. So first of all, that probably lasted till two or three in the morning. Then we all slept in the living room together and we woke up the next day because I had to go to work, but we all felt like we had sore throats. We all felt like we were just in a war hit by Mack truck, right? And we were in a spiritual war. I was like, all right, let's take it easy today. You guys stay home and relax. We'll catch up with you after work. And you were home with him. And he started to read. Yeah, so this point, if anyone's read the King James Version Bible, it's not the NIV version. It's not, I don't know if it's considered old English, but it can be tough to read initially. And this is coming from a kid who was reading 10 minutes every other day of a Zelda comic Comic book. book. He read 474, four to 600 pages of the King James Version Bible. He could not put it down and would not stop. He was seeing halos over... Us, he was seeing outlines of energy around us. He was seeing white orbs. He was seeing all this stuff. And then we went to the uh, store and he bought a Bluetooth speaker. For the next week, he was jamming the music. Just like that. Just like that. Instantly, all it, healed. quote, came back. But it was, it was never gone. It was just silenced. Mm-hmm. It was always there. Yep. So we had done so much with the physical, emotional, mental. The biggest part was the spiritual. And that was that biggest release and deliverance. And after that, Gabe was Gabe. Christ led us through this whole process of healing with Gabe. 
that we take absolutely zero credit for. But then at the very end, when it was time to wrestle the demons, he took care of the rest. Literally overnight, Gabe was seeing, Gabe was reading, Gabe was listening to music. We could have the lights on. By the snap of a fingers, he was healed and he was saved. Mm -hmm. And that encompasses your healing journey, which it's extremely true. It's unique, but it's not uncommon. So for more stories like this or to share and be part of our community, check out outofthecommon.net. Pass along a prayer or something positive today. <laughs>